Good morning, everyone. So this is a wonderful and wonderfully important subject this morning. In fact, if we get this one right, we don't have to worry about the rest. Reminds me of, uh, there's something called uh, Jewish koans. Uh, there are little pieces of advice. One is, breathe in, breathe out, breathe in, breathe out. If you don't get this right, the rest doesn't matter. <laughs> I'm going to read a beautiful passage since this morning's topic is the guru-disciple relationship and attunement. This is Master talking about his guru, Sri Yukteswar, an ode to his guru, entitled, My Guru. Thou light of my life, thou camest to spread wisdom's glow over the path of my mind. Centuries of darkness dissolved before the shafts of thy luminous help. As a naughty baby, I cried for my divine mother, and she came to me as my guru, Shri, Swami Sri Yukteswar. At that meeting, O oh my guru, a spark flew from thee, and the faggots of my God-craving gathered through incarnations, smoldered and blazed into bliss. All my questions have been answered with thy flaming golden touch. Eternal, ever-present satisfaction has come to me through thy glory. My guru, thou voice of God, I found thee in response to my soul cries. Slumbers of sorrow are gone, and I'm awake in bliss. If all the gods are displeased, yet thou art pleased, I am safe in the fortress of thy pleasure. And if all the gods protect me behind the parapets of their blessing, yet I receive not thy benedictions, I am an orphan left to pine spiritually in the ruins of thy displeasure. O Guru, Thou didst bring me out of the bottomless pit of darkness into the paradise of peace. Our souls met after years of waiting. They trembled with an omnipresent thrill. We met here because we had met before. Together we will fly to his shores where we will smash our planes of finitude forever and vanish into the infinite life. I bow to thee as the spoken voice of silent God. I bow to thee as the divine door which leads to the temple of salvation. I bow to thee, to thy master Lahiri Mahashaya, harbinger of yoga in Benares, and I lay the flowers of my devotion at the feet of Babaji, our supreme master. When we start out in life and on the path, and we'll hear this kind of journey repeated poetically uh, during the reading of the Festival of Light, Swami uses the image of a little bird uh, given birth by its parents and then uh, flying out on its own for the first time. 
And when we begin that journey, the little bird begins to think, what else is wisdom if not to keep what is mine for myself? Even though the parents have told it, to share with everyone what you receive because you're a part of everything. But that sense of rebellion, it's the ego, it's simply the way God has created this world. It's a, a movement between contractive consciousness to the ultimate of expansive consciousness, where we realize really our unity with all that is, with everything that exists and everything in potential beyond existence. But that journey seems to take place in time and space. And so at first we rebel with that journey. So before we're ready to receive a guru, we have to go through a lot, lot, lot of, of difficulties and experiences and growth. Swami had a very good friend of his who was a, a fellow monk at Mount Washington, but the fellow was a little bit moody. And he was complaining that, uh, you know, he must have not very good karma because he hadn't realized God yet. And Master said, remember this, it takes very, very, very good karma even to want to know God. And so that long journey takes us through ages and ages of rebellion and trying to find our way by ourself. And the way that it's set up is that we simply can't do that. Because Master used this analogy. He said that a woman had come to him and she was a little bit haughty. And she said, why would I want a guru? Why would I want somebody telling me what to do? I'm an adult. I can make my own decisions. I can live as an adult. Isn't it weakness to ask for guidance? And Master's reply was, imagine that you're in a huge forest and you don't know the way out of that forest. This is the forest of our thoughts. You don't know the way out of that forest. And so... Is it foolishness or childish to ask for guidance in how to get out? Otherwise, you'll wander along this path and it leads into brambles and that path and it leads nowhere. He said, in this sense, if you met in that forest even a child who knew his way, he would be the adult and you would be the child. So don't think in terms of it's weakness or childish to need advice. It's simply the way that it's set up. And then he said, once you're out of that forest, then you come into the kingdom of God, this beautiful land that lies beyond. But we're in the process of trying to get through and out of that forest. It's self-created. All of those brambles are things that we have misperceived in the past. Uh, but maybe they led for a little while to a kind of a sense that we were headed out of the forest. And so we have decided that this is a good way to go. Unfortunately, we find it very hard to give up our past strategies, even though they led to failure. Isn't that strange? 
but we're, we're fixated to our past ways of being. That's why in the, in the interpretation of the Bhagavad Gita, Vidura, who has been a, a great help and a trainer, um, no, is it Vidura that's habit? Drona, thank you. Drona, Dronacharya has trained the, both the Pandavas and the Kauravas. And so he's, in that sense, represented kind of like the interim guru. But he has to be killed because he represents past habit. And so we have to move on from the past. The past is both good and bad. It's gotten you exactly here. You're sitting here right now because of the past habits and past activities and past thoughts that you've had. But if you don't want to consider, uh, continue sitting here for the next few eons, you might want to move on from that that's come before. But how do we move on? Well, that's when it comes in to the acceptance of a guru. Because God has, first of all, we have to understand God is everything. He's the guru. He's the guide. He's us. He's, in the analogy in the Bible, he's the branch. He, he's the vine, and he's the branch of the vine. But Jesus didn't say it. God is also the earth from which the sustenance goes up into the vine. God is everything. There is nothing else. It's all an illusion of separation that makes us think that there's something else. But within that illusion, there are certain rules of how to get out. And one of those is that we need the help of an awakened soul to awaken us and guide us out. So this is a, a kind of a cosmic law that is set up this way. And so as we mature, as this phase of rebellion begins to pass within us, and it takes thousands and thousands of lifetimes, how does it pass? It passes by wandering off into the brambles, getting scratched up, getting nowhere, and saying, well, that way didn't work. That way had a little sign that said wealth. And I wandered out there, and I thought that was going to lead right out of the forest. What else? I mean, I could buy my way out, couldn't I? So that, which, that should work. Well, we probably have to try that a bunch of times until we realize that that didn't work. And all of the other worldly attractions, they, they lead us farther into the forest, not out. But we have to experience that enough so that of our own free will, we say, I don't want that anymore. Master said it comes to a sense of anguishing monotony. Done, been there, done that, and it didn't get us out. So we gradually go through this first rebellious phase until we come to the acceptance that we need help from the world around us. And then finally, we need we realize that we need help from an enlightened soul to bring us out. And so at that time, 
as we approach that, we begin a serious search for our way out of delusion. And that search first takes the form of a little bit of interest. And so we get a little bit of teaching. We get a book, we get a friend or two who have a little bit of an idea of something that could make us happier, and so on. We, but we're only, you know, the thimble can't hold the ocean. And so when we're only a thimble full of divine ardor for being released, we get the appropriate amount of teaching for that. As we expand, as our desire to be free expands, then we're given more and more until finally, when, it's, when we're really, really wanting out, then the guru comes to us. And the guru will come to you spontaneously. Now, Master said that the teachings of India say that each of us has our own particular guru. And that guru has been essentially assigned to us from the very beginning of time. So we're going to find our way out through one particular pathway, one particular teaching. But at the beginning, it doesn't seem that way. And so God will lead us toward that. So Master used this analogy that if you're wanting to drive across the country and you don't have a car, it's good to start by going to the car dealerships and checking out various cars. So you go and you check out various teachings and you check this one and that to see which one appeals to you. And eventually you settle on a car. I don't know who I'll offend by, uh, let's say a Tesla. Everybody loves Teslas. <laughs> so you settle on a Tesla. You start your cross-country journey. This is your guide. This is what's carrying you across the country. This is your path. So you're going along in Tesla and starting in Los Angeles. You go about 100 miles. You get into Nevada and you say, oh my goodness, a Tesla. I'm not sure that I'm going to find recharging stations. I think I'll go back and get a different car. And so you go back and you get a Ford and you start across and you see somebody driving by in a BMW or a Mercedes. You say, oh, I don't like this Ford so much. And you go back. And so you go, you don't make any progress across country. You just are running in loops. That is the stage in the devotee's life where they haven't yet really found their path, but they're seeking, they're trying to. And that's a very, as, as Master said to that disciple, to even want to know God, to even want to make that trip, takes very, very, very good karma. So let's not look down our noses at the, at the people who are still checking out the car dealerships. Nonetheless, most of us here have found our path, found our guru. Once you do that, then you realize that that little journey of 100 miles and back doesn't get you across country. You need to stay with it. Now, what happens? Why do you want to turn back 
after 100 or 200 miles, you reach some limitation of your habits, your past thoughts, your past karma. And you get to a certain point and you say, well, this doesn't quite fit with my likes and dislikes. And at that point, you know, if you've got a telescope and you're trying to see the moon and you've got it pointed a little bit off in the sky, at that point, you're fixated by your past and that telescope is fixated. So you're waiting for the moon to move over to accommodate you rather than you being able to unfix your telescope and move. So we have to learn enough detachment. Master talked so much about detachment. We have to learn detachment in order to unfixate ourselves from our likes and dislikes, and then we can move. So another analogy that comes to mind, you know, the sun shines down equally on everything. But in there's a particular plant. Imagine that we're coming back now to Jesus' analogy of the vine and the branches. Imagine that we're trying to produce some fruit. There's a particular plant, so the sun shines down equally on everything. But there's a plant in Italy, the name is Girasole, which is a wonderful name. It means sun turner. And so this plant in all of the fields turns and follows the sun every day. In the West, we call that a sunflower. And so imagine that we have, as that plant has, the ability to follow the light. And doesn't that plant absorb more light than something that's fixated and not, not aligning? So as we grow, we want to align ourselves deeply with the sun or with the light, and that light comes to us in a particular way. Right now, you look around the, the sky, you can look everywhere you want, but the only place the light is coming from is from one tiny little place that is about that big if you held up your finger, and that's the sun. And all the light comes from that. And so you can look everywhere else, but for us right now, for us on earth, that's where the light is proceeding. So for you as a soul, your light is going to come from one particular direction. Now, there are trillions and trillions of other stars in the galaxy, but we're connected to this star. We can call ourselves, you know, the sun's spiritual family. And so as that sun's spiritual family, we need to look to that to draw our light and our inspiration. And so as we progress, it's all, see, the real, when we talk about attunement, what we attune is our own willingness, our own desire. God will never break that freedom of will. And so we have to constantly keep trying to move and trying to absorb more. And it gets easier and easier. So there are particular ways, five in particular, 
things that really help us to keep turning toward the Guru and keep turning toward the light. <clears throat> One is simply <clears throat> what we would think of as attunement to the Guru. This is done by, it starts outwardly. You can read the books. You can, Master said, when I'm gone, my whispers from eternity will speak to you. They will be my voice. You can read this and you can listen to Master's voice. All of these are good, but they're outward. You have to begin to internalize. So the one that we read this morning about that connection to the guru, you can read it passively, you can understand it with your mind, but until we internalize that sense of deep, deep gratitude and thankfulness for what comes from the guru, we'll only receive a little bit more. And so in meditation, in our daily life, we need to keep trying to open ourselves more and more to master. In meditation or before making any decision, we should try to visualize master at the spiritual eye, to see his eyes as we visualize him, and to ask to receive his guidance. He said the highest prayer is I will reason, I will will, I will act, but guide thou my reason, will, and activity to the right thing, right path in everything. And so that constant turning, like the Jirasole, that constant turning toward the source of light will open us to that light. And the more we do it inwardly, and the deeper that we do it, and the more regularly that we do it, the more that God will come in. And remember, God is guiding us to this very thing. He's guiding us out of the forest of ignorance. The, the master said the, um, the greatest arrow in the quiver of Satan is the desire not to meditate or the desire, we can expand that. The greatest enemy, the greatest weapon of the downward pulling energy is the desire not to attune our consciousness to the guru. Conversely, the greatest thing to get us out is to attune ourselves to the guru. More deeply we do that, the more that we will receive. And if we could do that deeply enough, then we wouldn't need the rest. But we, as I say, we were trained by habit. And so we need to overcome past ways of thinking, past ways of feeling and attachments. And so the second thing, and Swami emphasized this again and again, so the first is do everything you can daily and especially in meditation to attune and open yourself to the guru. Secondly, Swami emphasized again and again the importance of the development of right attitude. And so right attitude will either open, our, open us up 
or block us from that which Master has to give us. So what are right attitudes? Well, gratitude is one. Because when we have... And, and understand that attitude is under our control. It's under the control of our willpower. We can develop right attitudes. And we can choose to express right attitudes as opposed to wrong attitudes. So this is our part. The Guru's sending the light. Our part is to receive that. And attitude allows us to receive and use that light. Gratitude is, is probably the key one because it allows us to accept whatever comes and be thankful for it because everything comes as an act of love from God. Another one is kind. all the proper attitudes of the heart, kindness, friendship, love, self-giving, compassion, all of those attitudes of the heart, which is inclusive and open to other people. Enthusiasm and joy, those are attitudes that will allow the energy to flow. So without going on and on, you get the idea. So attunement to the guru, developing and expressing right attitudes. Then the next one, Master said that after the presence of the guru, the most important factor is satsang, the company that we keep. Because those attitudes that we're trying to develop, good habits that we're trying to develop, those will be largely influenced and kept alive by the company that we keep. And so if we can surround ourselves and especially surround ourselves in, uh, in accepting the strong influence of people with people who are seeking their way out of the forest as opposed to those who are trying to sell us on a pathway that they haven't yet tried or haven't yet gotten tired of. So try to be around people who are seeking freedom because that seeking of freedom, everybody reinforces, the magnetism reinforces. That will help us develop good habit. We'll find quite quickly that reliance on willpower alone, willpower for most of us functions like a muscle. It gets tired. If you've ever tried to diet, you know how Willpower alone doesn't, doesn't do very much. So you need to develop, rather than willpower, habits that, that will carry you through when, when your decision-making ability is not very strong. I always loved something that Nitai said. It, the monks had to get up early and meditate together. And he, he didn't like, Master said, there are some people who are hard to wake up and others who pop up ready to go. Well, Nitai, at least for morning meditation, said he was one of those hard to wake up people. So this was in the early days of Ananda where we didn't have electricity. And when the alarm went off, he had a flashlight and he would turn the flashlight on and roll it across the room. 
his little trailer. And then the the competition between uh, the fear that he was using up his batteries <laughs> and the desire to snuggle for a little longer under the covers, the batteries won out. And so using whatever we can to develop those good habits, that's why at Ananda we have a year's Generally speaking, a year where we live in a group environment, that's really all about developing good habits. So good habits and then finally controlling the environment that you live in, the music that you listen to. I've already mentioned the people that you're around, but but the colors. Swami said color is really important. Music is probably the most important influencer. But controlling those influencers so that they reinforce our desire. The most important thing of all is to keep turning toward the grace of the Guru. I'll just end with yesterday we had all these wonderful stories about people telling about what Ananda was like when they came. And as each person talked, you know, Davy mentioned a line that we do a lot of counseling for marriage, and we sometimes say to each other, there's only one marriage, and we all live it. There's only one path, and we all share it. And there are many, many stories, but the real essence of those stories is a lot of individuals being like sunflowers, trying to turn and face the sun to align their will with God. And all the rest falls away. It doesn't matter whether you have houses or not. It doesn't matter whether you have money or not. It doesn't matter what your job is. It doesn't matter what the weather is. It doesn't matter. Nothing matters except that constant desire to attune to the guru. And as we do that, as Jesus said in the, in the Bible, that then that branch bears beautiful fruit. And at this point, Ananda's bearing beautiful fruit. I've heard your flute high on a cloud your call I can't resist Oh, let me come and play with you We'll scatter music with the dew And sound the morning mist I've heard you piping on a hill all else I've set aside. Oh, let us dance the mountain peaks. We'll skip with breezes on the creeks and soar the valleys wide.
Your flute has called me to the fields. Now I've no place to live. Don't send me back, rejected friend. Whatever I call mine must end. All that I am, I give. I hear your call in every tree, in every flower and stream, and sweetest melody of all. A song that heaven's joy recalls Here in my heart you see